Good morning, Harvest. Why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21 this morning. So if you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. So if you don't own a Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, you forgot a Bible, if you get your hand up, we have ushers right now who would love to get a Bible into your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, for sure, get your hand up and grab one of these and take it home as our gift to you. As you're turning to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, I mean, for those who know me well, this won't be too shocking of a statement for you to hear. I am not a very organized person, right? Oh, that's good. That was uncalled for, but thanks for the laugh. <laughs> what that means is this. It means that here, here's an example of that. It means you, you can fit two cars into my garage right now, praise God, all right? You can do that, okay? But, but to find anything in that garage would be very difficult. And so what happens is, is a lot of times when I'm having to do something around the house to fix something, because I can't always find the tool I'm looking for, I'll red-green it, right? I'll just grab whatever I can find. Okay, and I'll just, I'll just use that. So maybe you, you, there's other guys who are kind of like, yeah, I do that too. I'll just grab, I got a hammer or something. Okay, give me the biggest screwdriver with the largest handle because I can just bang the nail in with that. And what happens is because I do stuff that way, it, it, it can sort of get the job done, but more often than not, it, it, it doesn't get done well. A lot of times it can ruin the tool I'm trying to use or end up racking things. When we try to get things out of something that it wasn't designed for, what happens is we're going we're gonna to really mess things up. And, and you know what? Marriage can be a lot like that as we're in this series on our crazy families. This morning, I want to begin to talk a bit about marriage. And, and here's the thing about marriage. When we try to get out of marriage, what God never intended marriage to be for. Now, God's given us marriage for a lot of good reasons, a lot of good things. But there are things that God didn't design marriage for. And we try to get those things out of marriage, we can end up hurting ourselves or hurting others around us. You think about it in, in our culture right now, you can see this on both extremes of what we, we do with marriage. If we treat marriage how God didn't want it to be treated over on one side, if we can, we can take marriage and just make it so flippant, like it doesn't really matter, like, like you know what, just I'll get married now. If it doesn't work out, I'll just leave that person. I'll find somebody else. And, and even how, how God's created sex in the context of marriage, we can just treat it so flippantly. And, and what do we see in our culture? We see the, the damaging effects of a, a lie that's being sold that, hey, sex is just hooking up. You'll, you'll never be hurt by it. it. It won't damage at all. It, it won't wound you at all if it doesn't work out. No, no. and what do we see? We see the horrible effects of that. And yet on the other side, when we lift marriage up to a place where it shouldn't be, and I'm putting all my hopes, all my joys, all my identity, all my purpose, all my fulfillment is gonna be resting on that place of marriage, what happens is marriage was never designed by God to be that way. That your, your spouse, your marriage, your family cannot bear the weight of your soul. Can't bear the weight of your joy. You can't bear the weight of all your hopes. God never designed marriage that way. Our life, our hope, our purpose, our meaning, it's found in the restored relationship that we can have with the creator God. He's the one who created in us this desire for relationship. He's the one who, 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 that's why it's so good to be in relationship. He created that for us, but he is the only one who can bear the weight of our soul. He's the only one who can bear the weight of our identity, of our hope, of our joy, of our fulfillment, of our purpose. So, so as we unpack this series, 
What we're gonna find out as we talk about our crazy families, what we'll discover is there aren't really any marriage problems. There aren't really any family problems. What it is, there are people problems that are exposed in marriage, that are exposed in our families. So this morning, if you've got your Bibles open, we're gonna start in verse, thir- verse 21. Sorry, we're gonna actually jump to verse 31 of Ephesians chapter five. And here's our first point this morning. Marriage is not the ultimate. Marriage is not the ultimate. Look at verse 31. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul here, he's quoting from from Genesis chapter two. And then do you realize what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, that when God created marriage all the way back at the very beginning, he didn't look at Adam and even go, oh man, I got this man and woman. I should figure out something, how to to do things with him, how to work this thing out. No, no, he had a, a purpose right from the very beginning. And Paul says this mystery, and you read the word mystery in the New Testament, what it means is this, that in the Old Testament, it's something they didn't see too clearly, but now because of Christ, in Christ fulfilling everything, we now see more clearly. And he's saying this mystery's now been revealed. That when God designed marriage, when he brought man and woman together to be one flesh, to become one, he, he did it as an illustration. He was doing it to point to something. It's pointing to something greater. It's not the end of itself. In fact, C.S. Lewis says it this way. When a sun ray hits your face, when a sunbeam hits your face, and you feel the warmth of it, you don't stop there. You look up and see, hey, where's this coming from? And you trace the sunbeam all the way back to its source, which is the sun. And that's like marriage. Marriage is so good, but it's pointing to something greater. It's not the ultimate, it points to what is the ultimate. It points to the real source of our joy, of our hope, of our purpose, of our fulfillment, of our identity, of our love. It points to what's eternal, this eternal relationship that we can have with Jesus. When you think about it, our culture tells us, no, 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 love is the ultimate. You need to find that, that soulmate. And, and when you do find that soulmate, when you finally find that person, you can say the Renee Zelliger line from Jerry Maguire, right? You complete me, right? I mean, think about how many songs sing this truth to us. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. That's where I went to high school, the 80s, which I consider the greatest musical uh, time of our generations, all right? Not really, but, but in, in high school, I remember this song by Chicago. You remember this song if you're old enough? You remember this song by Chicago? I'm not gonna sing it. I'm just gonna quote it, all right? You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. You bring feeling to my life. You're the inspiration. Right, if you're of a certain age, I just brought you all the way back to high school with that song, right? You're just rocking your mullet in your head thinking that was so good, right? <laughs> Listen, that doesn't work. What, what Renee Zellweger said in Jerry McGee, you complete me. What, what Chicago said that, no, you're the meaning, you're the inspiration. You were not created to be completed by someone else. You're created to be completed by Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're a lonely, insecure, unhappy, single person and you're seeking your hope in, in marriage, listen, lonely, insecure, unhappy, single people become lonely, insecure, unhappy, married people. 
Marriage doesn't solve the emptiness. It doesn't solve the pains or the hurts. Marriage just exposes them more clearly. So I would say this, if you're here this morning as a single person, don't look for your hope in, in a person. Look for your hope in Christ. And I would say this, look for that person you're looking for. Make sure they have their hope in Christ as well. And I've said this before. I, tell, I have three daughters, and they, they can they can't get this memorized now. I've said it so much to them. I say, hey, hey, make sure you find a guy who loves Jesus more than he thinks he loves you. All right? That's the person you want. You, you know, you come up onto a bridge, and they, they've got those signs on them. It says, here's the weight limit. Weight limit of the bridge. This bridge can only withstand this much weight, right? You can't go over that weight, or the bridge collapses. I would say this as spouses, man, we should get signs made that we wear on our wedding day. Okay, you'll never do it, so we're not really going to do that, right? But that you wear all the time that says, will not bear the weight of your soul. But we need to remind each other of that that you won't find your hope, you won't find your joy and your fulfillment by looking for it in the horizontal. I mean, relationships are great. God created us to live in relationship, but relationship horizontally are not the ultimate. Our marriages point to Christ. We want to be happy in our marriages, but the, the key to our happiness and fulfillment, it, it isn't looking to ourselves. When we look just to ourselves, it, it leads to selfishness. It's, it's not looking to your spouse. When you look to your spouse for that, it leads to codependency, our hope, our life, for our hope for meaning, for wholeness in the midst of brokenness that we see in our hearts and all around us. Our, our hope in, a, in our crazy families is not our family. It's not my spouse. It's not horizontal. My hope has to stay vertical. My hope is in Christ. So, so marriage is a gift, but it's not the ultimate. In fact, if you think about it, both, both singleness and marriage, they're both gifts from the Lord. As a single person, that, that's given to you as a gift. And, and for some of you, it's just for a season that God's given that gift. For some, it might be a lifetime God's given you that gift. But it's this gift where God says, listen, I've got things that I, I want to do with you that, that will only happen as a single person. Or God's saying, listen, this is a gift because I've got things I want to do in you and, and in your heart that I can only do, that can only be taught to you as a single person. It's a gift. Now listen, if you're single and you desire marriage, that's a good thing. God put that in you. It's a God-given desire, but, but don't believe that being single is some sort of inferior life. I mean, think about it. Jesus Christ himself was single his whole life. Or do you think he led an inferior life? He didn't lack anything. But we can be sold that lie, right? No, you're not complete yet. I, I didn't get married till I was 28. And, and, and with the, all my friends around me and my family, that was really late. Like, what's going on with you? What's wrong with you? Or I remember being in weddings and nice little old ladies would lean over and say, don't worry, you'll be next, right? So I'm like, all right. I go to funerals. I lean over to them. Don't worry, you'll be next. Right? <laughs> okay, I didn't do that. I wanted to do that. <clears throat> Listen, listen, marriage is not the ultimate. Marriage does not last forever. Jesus himself said in Matthew 22, he says, listen, when we get to heaven, there won't be marriage any longer. It's not the ultimate. It's not forever. John Piper says it this way, marriage is temporary and it will finally give way to the relationship in which it was pointing to, Christ and the church. 
I was away last week at a pastor's and wives retreat. And while we were away, we would FaceTime our kids, right? Because that's all we had. So staring at my iPhone or staring at an iPad or a computer, just talking to my girls. But when we got home, when we could be face to face, how lame would it be to be sitting around the dinner table still talking to each other through our phones, right? Marriage points to the ultimate relationship that we're one day gonna have face to face. So then what's the gift of marriage then? I mean, God said it's not good for man to be alone. In Genesis, he looks at Adam and goes, this isn't good. This is not good for him to be alone. So he comes up with marriage as this gift to Adam. It's not good that man should be alone. Why, why is that? Because men wear socks with sandals and use the wash with the door open, right? It's not good for us to be alone, all right? <clears throat> but seriously though, here's what it is though. Marriage is this gift that teaches you about the love of God. It's this ray of sun that hits your face and, and you, it directs you to look, to, to look at, at, at God and God's meeting desires you have for companionship, for security, for affirmation, for affection, but, but it also is teaching you about who God is. I've learned more about grace and forgiveness through my marriage than all the studying of theology I could ever learn. It's why marriage is so much bigger than just, just our spouse. It's why marriage is so much bigger than just the relationship. These verses here are saying there's something more that from the beginning that God designed it to be this, this picture of the gospel. And God's saying to the world, hey, hey, you want to see what the gospel looks like? You want to see about my love for you? Just look at marriage. I mean, this is huge if you think about it. I mean, wives, you give a picture to the watching world. Husbands, you, you give a picture to the watching world of God's love for us through Christ. But whether you choose it or not, your marriage is a picture. The world's looking and saying, what's God's love look like? So what kind of picture is your marriage giving? Is it a picture of grace? Is it a picture of love? Is it a picture of sacrifice? Is it, is it a picture of tender care? Is it a picture of protection? God says, you want to see the gospel, you need to look in marriage. So, so with that, then, our marriage is so much more than just about me. And I know that across this room, there are men and women, there are husbands and wives who have not lived that out. You, you haven't shown the picture of the gospel in your marriage. There are husbands here who haven't loved their wives like Christ loves the church. There are wives here who haven't loved their husbands like the church is to love Christ. So what do we do with that? I mean, you can't change the past. You, you, can't, you can't make that any different, but you, you can see your past in light of the gospel where you can trust that God can cover that past can forgive that past, but not just that, not just, oh, my past is forgiven, but that, that through Christ, through his spirit in you, he can empower you for today and tomorrow to live out what the gospel should look like in our marriages. I mean, God is pretty fired up about showing the world his grace and his love. God is so fired up about that. So listen, God's, God's looking then, if that's the case, he's looking to empower your marriage and my marriage to be able to be that picture. 
So then how does the gospel look like? What's it look like lived out in our marriages? How does it happen? Let's dig into these verses and see if you're taking notes. Our second point this morning is this. It's, it's I can live out. I'm called to live out the gospel in my marriage. Look at verse 21. It says, submitting to one another. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, this is probably some of the most unpopular verses in the New Testament right there. I mean, so many people read that and they go, wives submit to husbands. Man, this is why the Bible's so outdated. This is why we shouldn't follow this anymore. It's so backwards. And, and partly, why do we say that? Partly because people have used this verse to say something it never says. And women have been held down by, by guys who ripped this verse out of context and who were not living out the gospel in their marriages. In fact, before you get to verse 22, look again to verse 21. What's it say? Don't skip that verse. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to each other. I mean, everyone who's a follower of Christ, you submit to each other as you submit to Christ. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands. Now we're gonna unpack this a little more and see, hey, how does, how does this, what are the implications of this specifically for wives and for husbands? Let's not rip it out of context. Look at verse 25, it goes on. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You have to see something. What do you see in both of those commands, the wives and the husbands, we're both doing it what? Out of reverence for Christ. The husband lays down his life for his wife. The wife submits to her husband's wife, all out of reverence for Christ, all pointing to the glory of God, to his gain. His, God, your glory is the ultimate gain in my marriage. So verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Everything comes back to Jesus Christ. Everything comes back to the Lord. I'm going to obey what you've called me to do. I'm going to live for your glory. I'm going to imitate your love in my family. I'm going to display that Christ, you are the ultimate aim of my marriage. So then what's that look like to live out the gospel in this way? Like, here's one way. Here's the first way. We all submit first to Christ. We all submit first to Christ. There's, there's only one door you walk through for, for hope and for identity and for purpose. There's, there's only one doorway that's going to bring hope to your crazy family. There's only one doorway that you have to walk through to see hope happen in your marriage. And I've said this before, it's a very low door. It's a door of humility. It's this door of submitting your life and your hopes and your desires to Jesus Christ. That's what's going to create what God intended for love and joy and purpose. So the question I would ask is this, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? I mean, are you submitted to his controls, to his plans, to his purposes, to, to what he asks of you in your marriage? And until we get to that point, until, until we start with Jesus, no matter how many books we read, no matter how many good sermons we hear, no matter how many experts we talk to, no matter how much counseling we go through for our marriage, if we don't start there with Jesus and me first, 
We'll never experience marriage that, that God intended it to be. It all comes back to Jesus, your Lord. We need to start with Jesus. Jesus designed marriage. Jesus created the whole idea of marriage. He's the purpose of marriage. He's the greatest resource for our marriage. So our hope is, is him. Why? Because Jesus provides hope for our greatest problem, which is sin. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify things. There are a lot of reasons why there could be struggling marriages in this room. There, there could be communication problems. There could be financial issues. There could be sexual problems. There could be trust problems. There could be a lot of reasons why there are struggling marriages. But here's the, the baseline. Here's where it all comes down to. The main core problem that scripture says in every marriage is sin. We enter into marriage as two sinful people. So here I come with all my sin and I'm entering into a relationship with somebody else and all their sin. There's no wonder we have struggles in our marriages. I mean, we don't always think about it that way, do we? I mean, how many wives lean over to their husbands on their honeymoon and just whisper in their ears, I'm a really big sinner and I'm all yours. Right? Listen, we, we can waste so much energy on so many external things we have to come face to face with the fact that, that at the core of every single one of our problems, at the core is our hearts. And otherwise, if we don't start there, we're putting band-aids on broken limbs and hoping it takes care of them. And it's not an easy place to start. I get that. I mean, the last place we want to look, look when, when our marriage is struggling, the last place we want to look is our own heart. Right? No, no, it's not me. It's my wife, man. She's cracked. Let me tell you this, if you were to come to Biblical Soul Care, into our counseling ministry with a, with a hurting marriage, with a marriage that's struggling, every single time, we're not going to start with your marriage, just so you know. We're going to start with you. Because well, where's your heart at? Well, no, it's not my problems. And my marriage doesn't have anything to do with me. It has, has to do with, with my spouse. It has to do with, with my kids. It has to do with our finance. It has to, no, 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 no. I, I get it. Those things, those things don't help. Those things make marriage hard at times. But the root of it all, the root of it all, the crazy in our crazy families comes from hearts of sin. Now, here's the, here's the crazy thing about that. That's actually good news. Now, why is that? Why would I say that that's, that's good news? Because when we come face to face with the reality that all my problems begin with sin, listen, there's a solution for that. We have an answer to that broken problem, and the answer is Jesus Christ. Amen. If the, if the major problem in my marriage is sin, the major solution in my marriage is Jesus as my Savior. It's why we need the gospel in our marriages. The grace of God is the only hope for our crazy families. Christ is enough for our marriages. I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but what I'm saying is this. If we don't go to the grace of God, if we don't seek Christ in our hearts, in our marriages, we have no hope for experiencing what God has purposed for us in marriage. This is the foundation. It's the gospel. That's the foundation of our marriage. It's, it's what gives us hope in our marriage. It's what our marriages are supposed to display. They're supposed to display the beauty of the gospel. This picture of Christ's grace, his love for us. And, and with that as the foundation, listen, we need to start there. 
If we don't start there, none of this makes sense. But with that as the foundation, we start to look at things vertically rather than horizontally. We stop pursuing vertical solutions in a horizontal manner. We take them vertically, we take them to the Lord. So then what does this look like in our marriage then? How does my marriage display and pursue the gospel? What's this look like practically played out? Look at verse 23. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And we gotta understand what the word's saying here. We say, wait a minute, the husband's the head of the wife. What does that mean to be the head of the wife? In 1 Corinthians eleven three, it says that, 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 the, that God the Father is the head of Christ. That's important for us to get our, our, our minds on, to, to recognize that because we're not talking about value here. We're not talking about equality here. Scripture's so clear that men and women are equal, that the whole women's lib thing, man, it started in the early church. It started when the gospel began to turn that culture upside down and say, hey, hey, women are equal to men. We gotta start championing this. And, and scripture speaks so loudly about this. And yet, yet in our equality, we have different roles to play out. Just like in 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, God the Father is the head of Christ. It didn't make Jesus any less equal to the Father, but it, it, it made for a different role. So this idea of submission or headship, it's hard for us to get our heads and minds wrapped around, but here's a thing that helps me with it. If Christ was okay, not being the head in the relationship of the Trinity, I think we can be okay with what he lays out for us in our marriages. Now, when the Bible uses that language of the head, it's, it's, it's this. It's not so much I have the authority over everything. No, no, no. It's you as a husband have the responsibility. If our wives, if our kids are are failing to grow in godliness, it starts with us as husbands. Listen, I get it. Everyone is personally responsible for their own hearts before the Lord. But you've been put, if you're a husband in this room, you've been put in that role of caring for your wife and for your kids' pursuit of Jesus. Look, in Genesis, when you think of this idea of, of headship and partnership and, and submission and, and God calls the wife the helper and how does that all work? In Genesis, when this thing first all starts out, it's this beautiful partnership between Adam and Eve. He creates them and he commands both of them, hey, fill the earth, subdue it. And, and although men have been given this, this responsibility as the head, ultimately it's this, this partnership that we've been put together to display the glory and the beauty of God, but then sin comes in and distorts everything. I, mean, I love how Pastor Lee laid it out last Sunday where, where Adam and Eve fall into sin. God starts to pursue who about it? He goes after Adam. Adam, you're the head. You're the source. You're the one who's supposed to be taking care of things. And what did Adam do? Adam at the same time blamed Eve and God. Adam's like, whoa, whoa, whoa hey. God's like, hey, what'd you guys do? Why'd you, why are you wrecking everything? Why'd you let a sin to come into this? And Adam's like, oh, it wasn't me. It was Eve. The woman you gave me, God. I was like, hey, hey, God, I'll tell you what, just put me to sleep again. Let's take another rib out. Let's do woman 2.0. It'll probably be better than your first go at this. It wasn't a great, you know, God, like maybe the second one. No, right? And what's Adam doing? Adam's blaming. Adam's avoiding. Adam's giving excuses. I mean, isn't that the way we do it today? Yeah, God didn't fall for it, did he? It's like, Adam, Adam, 
You were the head. Adam, you, you are the one to care for. You're the one to help grow the heart of your wife. I love, if you want to look this up later, Psalm 128 gives this beautiful picture of the father and husband as, as the one who tills the soil, who's the gardener, who's the farmer in the family. So if your marriage is struggling, husbands, if your wife is struggling, you're the gardener. If your family lacks nutrients and water, you're the gardener. If it's full of weeds, you're the gardener. You, you can't just sit back as a husband and complain. You can't just give authoritarian demands saying, I'm the man, I'm the leader. This is what we got known. You're the gardener. You're the one who's supposed to be caring. You can't just passively shrug your shoulders and go, well, it's your own problem. You need to take care of it. No, husbands, you're gardeners. It's what you've been created for. To what? To love your wives as Christ loves the church. So what do we do? Jesus took responsibility for the church. We take responsibility. Jesus pursued us. Husbands, pursue your wives. To be this head of your family, to be the gardener, to love your wife like Christ loved the church. You invest in her. You care for her. You cherish her. You treasure her. You love her with the grace that God gives you in Jesus Christ. So husbands, how's that going? Wives, it you do have a verse here. I'm coming after you too, all right? <laughs> I'm not, God is. <laughs> verse 22 says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse, verse 24 says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Listen, if husbands reflect the gospel through their Headship through their, through their caring and nurturing wives, you reflect Jesus through this, this submission. Now again, that word submit can make people tense up a little bit, right? It's, it's used all through the New Testament. It's not just a one-off here in Ephesians. It's in Colossians. It's in 1 Peter. It's in Titus. The word though, here's what it literally means. So we get the right idea of what you're being called to as a, a wife. It means this, to yield to one's loving leadership. It's, it's not in anything about inferiority. It's, it's not inequality. It's not being coerced into it. This is voluntary submission. It's saying, I trust what the Lord's called me to. So I'll do this as to the Lord. Now, now look here, husbands, you need to check this out too. Verse 22, what's the first word there? Wives. Right, this isn't your verse, all right? It's not talking to you as husbands. You can't take this one and go, hey, hey, Submit. Right? The verse doesn't say, husbands, make sure your wives submit. No, no, no. This isn't your verse. Your verse is coming, right? Your verse is 25. This is your wife's verse. A husband can't demand this. So, so what's this look like in marriage? How does this play out? I would say this most often. You're just going to be walking together in partnership like God designed it to be. You're going to be making decisions together for the, for the best interest of the other. You're going to be making decisions for the, for the glory of God. But what happens when you come up against something where you're like, man, we're just stumped on this. Let me give you an example from, from my own life, and I don't do this perfectly, but here's a, here's a time where it did work out pretty well. Um, so... One of the biggest decisions we made as a family was me leaving my last ministry to, to plant this church. 
Didn't know the church was available. I, I just felt the call to leave the last ministry before I had anything in my hand on this side. So I, I just felt God saying, hey, it's time to leave. And I love my job, but I just felt God was calling me. So, so what did I do? I said, hey, hey, Libby, my wife, hey, Lib, um, I'm praying about resigning. So, so pray with me about it. But hey, hey, Libby. And my wife does not like making really fast decisions or taking huge risks. It's just how God's wired her. It saved me from a lot of hurt and pain, right? The, 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 I've got this, this wife like that. But, so I, I, but I said to her, hey, Libby, if you don't want us to do this, we just won't do it. So, so, so Libby, you tell me, should I quit or not? Now, what's submission look like there? Does that look like her saying, well, whatever you say, these weren't, ex- weren't, weren't Lib's exact words, but the, after a lot of prayer and discussion, we're walking this out for some time. Eventually it came down to this and Libby said something like this, Kai, if you see God leading us out to do something wild and, and look, you know, I don't like to take risks. She said, but, but if God's calling you to do that, then dude, be a man. Step up and lead us to where God's calling us. I mean, is that, is that wimpy? Does that sound like the, you know, just stay in the corner and you just be quiet? No, no, no. What is she doing? That's partnership. At that point, what, what's happening? At that point, we're both submitting to a role neither of us want to take. I didn't really want to take responsibility. I, I would rather let my wife decide. And, but, but what did she do? She presses me right in that moment to do the most masculine thing I could ever do. At the same time, what's she doing? She's ultimately just, she's submitting herself to the Lord saying, God, whatever you press in on my husband's heart as we're praying and fasting about this, she's saying, I'm gonna support him. She's using her strength and her power to support me, to help me to be what I'm supposed to be. So my question is this, wives, do you respect your husbands? Do you look for ways to lift them up? Do you worship Christ by, by submission? Here, here's the way it also looks too. If, if I'm a bit of a doofus at home and I'm not doing things how I should as a husband, if, if I've neglected family devos and I just haven't led in that way, my, my wife doesn't come in and say, hey, hey, doofus, don't you care about the souls of our kids? I mean, do you want them to abandon Jesus because you're so lazy and forgetful? That's what she shouldn't do, all right? So let her know that, that she should, no, I'm just kidding, right? (laughs) No, what happens? Uh, As a wife, she gently moves in. She begins to press on my heart. She she starts to act out what God calls Eve to. And God says, Eve, you're, you're gonna be Adam's helper, not diminutive. God's called our helper. It means come alongside your partners in this. Here's where it gets really tough, though, for husbands. And I believe we can remove a lot of the red flags of this submit word when husbands actually live out the call that we've been called to. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you reflect the gospel in your marriage as you sacrifice for your wife. When we deserved wrath, Jesus stepped in and took it in our place. He gave himself up for us. And husband, scripture says, love your wives that way. So what's it look like to lead in marriage? It means you lead in marriage where you die to yourself every day. You, you sacrifice yourself for your wife. 
You love her unselfishly like Christ loves you, like Christ loves her. It's a love that's not based on what you get in return. It's a love that pours out completely. This is for both husbands and wives. We don't do what we're called to do by Christ here. You don't do it for what you get. I mean, that's not the gospel. You don't do, well, I'll, I'll, I'll live this out. I'll love and, and sacrifice if, if my spouse would just be better. That's not the gospel. Husbands, it says, love her like Christ loves you. I mean, you and I do not deserve the love of a perfect Savior, but he does it anyway. This love you have for your wife is based on the love of Christ in you for her. And listen, that love never stops. It's not dependent on what she brings to the table. And aren't we glad that God didn't give us his love in that way? I mean, if it was about how we earned or what we did or what we brought to the table, man, we would be out in the cold. We would miss the whole point of, of grace and that's the whole point of Christianity is that we love this way. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Look what happens. Look at verse 26. Talking about you husbands, that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Again, do you, do you see the imagery there of husbands? You're the gardeners. Your love will grow your wife. So guys, don't fall asleep on your watch. Don't fall asleep on the, the, the command, on the watch that God's given you as a husband that you've been entrusted to, that you're responsible for your home and most importantly, for your wife. Like, okay, Kai, I, I, mean, I hear that, but how do I do this? Wives are like, how do I respect and, and love my husband? Husbands, how do I love and sacrifice for my wives? What's this look like? I would say it would look like this. If Remember in John chapter 13, the, Jesus had his disciples together for the last supper. He's about to go out and be crucified. And what's he do after the last supper? He takes off his outer garment, wraps it around himself like, a, like an apron, and then he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Nothing, I mean, as gross as that would sound even today, for me to actually slip off your Sorrells and your wool socks and start to wash your feet. Think about in that time how gross that is. Walk around on streets where animals would walk around on and do their thing. And these guys, as they're walking around, walking in, in open-toed sandals. It was dirty. It was humiliating. It was the, the job that the lowest servant in your household would take. And here's the Lord. Here's the one who deserves all glory, all honor, who has all power. He lays it all aside, takes on the form of a servant, washing dirty feet. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. They weren't just dirty feet. These would be the same feet that would take those disciples and have them run away from Jesus, desert him in his greatest time of need. And he's washing those feet. I mean, this might be the, the clearest picture of the cross that Jesus gave them that night. In, in just a few hours, he would take off his garments of glory, lay aside his power and his right to rule, and he would clothe themselves in the garments of shame so that we could be washed clean by his blood poured out for us. So listen, here, here it is, husbands. 
Whatever power you have, you use it to serve and love and care for your wife. Wives, whatever power you have, you use it to submit and love and serve your husband. And you say, yeah, but, but he doesn't deserve it. Yeah, but she, she doesn't deserve it. I mean, did the disciples deserve to have their feet washed by Jesus? I mean, the, the primary point of marriage is this, that you in your marriage will continue daily to wash the feet of a sinner. You're more, more like Christ as you lay down your rights. Husbands, you sacrifice your comforts, you sacrifice your wants. And you love and you lead. And wives, you sacrifice your power to serve and to love. And so listen, let me make this real simple as we close off. Here's the worst team comes up. Here's the simple way. The, the one simple, crazy family transforming question that if you ask this question every day, if we live this out, this would change our marriages and our families. And here it is. Here's the question you ask. What can I do to serve you? And husbands, I would challenge you to, to, to grab your wife, maybe today, this week, maybe, maybe every day you ask this, where you would say, hey, how can I serve you better? Wives, that you would grab your husbands and you would say, hey, how can I serve you better? That you'd pray about this. We need to be careful here because if that question gets asked, here's the thing we need to be careful, that none of us are allowed to grab our junior Holy Spirit badge and put it on and then start condemning for someone for where they haven't served, right? That's the Lord's work. The Lord will do that. God will, God will bring about conviction. In fact, let that conviction begin with you. Here's the thing, all of this if you read Ephesians 5, if you read these verses as wives and it doesn't cause you to go, man, I don't know if I can do that. If, if you read these verses as husbands and, and it doesn't cause you to think, man, I, I feel overwhelmed by that call. By that call. Listen, if, if you're not overwhelmed by this, you're probably not reading it right. It should overwhelm us, but what does it overwhelm us to the point of? To the point of seeking Christ. I, mean, I love how Pastor Lee summed it up so well in the sermon last week where he said, we've been created not as independent people, but as those who are wholly dependent. Not just dependent on each other in community, in relationships, but we are completely wholly dependent on God. Listen, listen, we can't do this without Jesus. We need Jesus to live this out. So that's what I want us to do this morning as we close. As you stand with me, as we're gonna close in worship, would you stand with me now? Before we begin to sing, I, I want us to take this to Christ. And so right now, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, and like I said, it begins with you. Maybe right now you'd, you'd pray about what you've heard. And maybe it'd be prayers of confession. Lord, here's where I haven't lived this out in my marriage. Thank you for your forgiveness. Maybe prayers of thanksgiving where you see this in your marriage, but, but you take the time now to, to thank Christ for that because it's only through his grace that this is lived out. Maybe right now it's time for your own heart. God, transform me today. 
you would pray, Lord, I want to see you all over my marriage. God, change me, change my spouse, change us. If you're single here this morning, I would encourage you to pray for couples around this room. And then pray, God, God, what's your design for my life? In this time, you've given me as a single person, God, I want to serve you. God, God, that you'd, you'd pray for whoever that future spouse may be that God has for you. Kids, that right now you'd be praying for mom and dad. That God would knit them together in a deeper way. Listen, I know that a sermon like this will expose hurts. That there are wives in this room right now who long for a man to step up and to lead and to love them sacrificially. There are men in this room who long for a wife who will love and respect them. I know there are hurting marriages here. There are hurts from the brokenness of sin done to you. There are hurts from the brokenness of sin that you've done. And in this moment, you carry that, that you feel that weight of that sin. But I want you to know that in Christ, there is hope and healing. We're gonna sing right now. We're gonna sing. We're gonna call out to God. God, God, we need you in this. We need, if we want healthy marriages, we need you in this. And, and if you're somebody who just is so desperate for this as you should be, that you would cry out this song as a prayer. And listen, as you're doing that, there are gonna be people up here, small group leaders and elders and, and those who would love to pray with you. If you're so weighed down, but you're like, I can't even sing this on my own. I need help and I need to pray with someone. They're gonna be coming even right now. If you're a small group leader, if you're an elder here this morning or a deacon, if you're someone who prays with people, you'd start right now. Just come right now. But as we sing, if you need someone to, to pray with about this, maybe just you on your own, or maybe you need to grab the hand of your spouse and say, I don't want to live like this any longer. I want help. Then call out in this song. If you need to come up and pray with somebody, come up and pray during this song. Let me pray for us right now before we sing. Lord God, we want to go vertically this morning. We know that there's, there's complete satisfaction and hope and joy and fulfillment as we live our lives in your grace and in your love. And Lord God, we need you today. That that grace and that love would fill our lives and then spill over out of our lives into our marriages, into our families. God, heal us. Heal our marriages. We need you, Jesus, for this to happen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.